try to imagine that you've just experienced a devastating trauma and you have to tell all the hurtful details to strangers, only to face judgment, criticism, and even blame. Too often, that's what rape victims go through. It's not just the criminal court system. What if when you tried to have criminal charges brought, your attacker sued you in civil court? You're going to be so glad you joined me this week at The Unlovely Truth. We're going to investigate a shocking true crime story to see what spiritual and safety takeaways we can find there. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. Both our case today and our guests overcame systems that seemed stacked against them. These stories are going to teach us ways that each of us can be what I call a different kind of PI. Not a private investigator, but a person of impact. It can be so much easier to do than you think. This is Season 4, Episode 20. The book I chose this week is Know My Name by Chanel Miller, and our guest is Whitley Ethan. We're going to dive into this disturbing yet hopeful case, and I promise I won't get too graphic, but we are going to be discussing sexual assault and rape, so please use your discretion when you're listening or sharing this episode. Men that the world see as good people can still commit evil acts. That's so true, yet it is so hard to wrap our brains around. And women who have less than perfect lives or less than perfect behavior in a given situation can still be good people and victims. Now that seems even harder for some people to accept. Back in 2016, the world was fascinated by the trial of a swimmer at Stanford University named Brock Turner. He was accused of raping Chanel Miller, who he had met at a party on Stanford's campus. Met might actually be a little too strong of a word. He didn't quite stalk her, but close. Now he claimed that when they, quote, had sex, end quote, that it was consensual even though it took place beside a dumpster outside a fraternity house. Witnesses who saw what happened said Chanel appeared to have blacked out. Two men who noticed what Brock was doing chased him off, and then they chased him down. After Chanel agreed that she wanted to press charges, the preliminary hearing that was scheduled for early June ended up being postponed three times. And when it was finally held, She was so upset that the questions seemed to center more on what she had done that night rather than what Brock did to her. Questions like, how much have you had to drink? What was the post-rape medical exam like? Did you go to the party looking to hook up? And these questions were from the district attorney. The defense was way worse. Weren't you seen dancing on a table? Didn't you pee outside? Comments on news articles were brutal placing the blame for what happened squarely on Chanel. And this was only the beginning of what she had to go through. The trial was going to be much, much worse. Just like the preliminary hearing, the trial got delayed more than once. Now just stop for a minute and think about how many lives are disrupted. You're a witness. You take time off work to testify. You get your travel plans all set. And then you're told that the date for the trial has changed. It's no wonder our conviction rates are so low in this country. It's hard to be a cooperative witness. During the trial, Chanel had to sit on the witness stand as pictures of her assaulted body were shown to everyone. She had to face the defense attorney again as he picked at her testimony, actually telling her that her responses were not the answers that he needed to his questions. Chanel also had to face the bias of the media. They pitied Brock and the loss of his promising future as a swimmer. They didn't mention Chanel's loss of feeling safe, her PTSD, 
or the toll that the assault took on many relationships in her life. But the jury was smart and they saw things for what they were. They convicted Brock on every count he was charged with. But Chanel didn't know that the system wasn't done victimizing her. Grab yourself a copy of Know My Name by Chanel Miller to see what else she had to endure and see how she used it all to help herself and others gain some healing. One part of Chanel's book that really caught my attention was her description of her medical exam right after her rape. How often do we really stop to consider how victims just desperately want to feel clean, but they have to wait and suffer through a very intrusive forensic examination while evidence is collected? And that evidence usually is going to include the clothes that she was wearing. And that forces a lot of women to have to leave an ER wearing scrubs, which just draws attention to them which is the last thing they want or need. I did an episode a while back about a nonprofit called HerWell, which addresses this problem with such compassion, love, and practical support. I want you to check out the links in the show notes so you can learn more about what they do and how you can support this amazing ministry. Now it's time to hear another story about problems in the justice system, this time in civil court. Whitley Ethan was viciously attacked, and when she reported it to the police, her attacker went on the offensive. Whitley started Live Each Day with Purpose in 2017 after she saw a need in our communities and our world for change. She's an inspirational speaker, an advocate, a blogger, a human rights activist, and a journalist, and she is striving to positively impact our world through awareness, education, and prevention, just as scripture calls us to in Galatians 6.2. She's got a shocking story to share with us, so buckle up. Whitley, thank you so much for joining us. You've got so many things that you can teach us. I hope we have time to get them all in. I do too. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. Well, let's just dive right in. The first thing I want to ask you is you talk a lot about what you've been through because you want to help other people. You want to be an advocate. And one of the things that you've talked about that was really prominent in this week's book was being re-victimized by the courts. So give us just a couple examples of what that means. I was held hostage for over 10 hours and repeatedly raped. And immediately upon being released, I did go and get the sexual assault kit collected for evidence. But I knew that I was in a very delicate state after what I had just endured. And I wasn't ready to come forward officially to the police because I also knew with the police, when you come forward, it's an automatic he said, she said. And what that does is it basically minimizes what happened to the victim and it protects the perpetrator. It's basically like, okay, you have to prove to us that what you're saying really happened before we do anything else. So we can't believe you. The message it sends, but it also puts a target on the victims for the perpetrator to retaliate. I knew I wasn't ready to deal with that. So eventually when I came forward after there had been so much, because this was around COVID, so much in the news about sexual assault was on the rise, I knew I had to come forward and make sure this wasn't happening to anybody else. And as soon as I did, he turned around and sued me filed a civil lawsuit. It very clearly states in there that he is suing me because I have come forward and said he raped me. It very clearly then they're stating that I'm a victim advocate. And he made it very clear in the civil lawsuit that he wanted the judge to make an example out of me so that other women couldn't come forward and cry rape. 
I'm sure everybody can understand the precedent that could set in motion if women are not able to come forward because of the fear of being sued by their abuser, rapist, perpetrator, and then nobody being in a position to be protected because, I mean, here's our judicial system. They allowed this lawsuit to go forward, nothing stopping them and thinking, well, wait a second, he's claiming that She's saying he raped her. We need to investigate this. We need to see if there's any truth to this. Let's talk to her before we allow him to sue her. Nothing happened. So the judicial system was being used and abused to re-victimize me. And our judicial system allowed that to keep happening. And I went through that for 22 months. That part of your story just really caught my attention because as an investigator, I've helped clients before use civil litigation when a police investigation either never got started or got stalled. And we've done that so that we can subpoena documents, force people to set for depositions so we can ask questions. But I had never heard of it being flipped on its head like it was with you and having that perpetrator so aggressively come after you again this time in the civil court system. But you hung in there and you made history. So tell us about that. I don't think people realize that since the Me Too movement emerged in 2017, abusers and perpetrators have been coming forward and suing their victims in what has become known as a she said he sued. So now not only do you have to worry about he said, she said, we're now having to worry about she said he sued. And it hasn't just been happening nationwide. It's also been happening internationally. This was kind of the first time that I knew that this was happening was when it happened to me. On the police report, it says that I am the victim and he is the suspect in 11A rape. And 11A rape in the state of North Carolina is the most severe sense of sexual assault. And so it's listed. I'm, I'm victim. He's suspect. In the civil suit, I'm listed as the defendant and he's listed as a plaintiff. I'm the defendant for turning someone in for their crimes that they committed. And yet they are playing the part of the victim. And so I had to protect myself facing a lawsuit. The only option, because even though I'm listed as a defendant, I'm not being given an attorney. Yep, not in civil court. I had to move it to bankruptcy court. And of course, still not given an attorney. I had to pay, borrow money from people to pay for an attorney where I had to file bankruptcy to protect myself and create a stay in the North Carolina civil case. I ended up filing bankruptcy. They said, well, she has no assets, nothing for him to be claiming. And he's basically claiming that his debt of lawsuit is a non-dischargeable debt. Well, I won that case in December of 2021. And at this point in time, I had been advised not to go to the police. I'd gone to his company because during one of the times that he raped me, he raped me a total of three times. During one of the times he raped me, he got on a company-wide call. This is really important because they are nationwide and they protected him. And so he gets on a company-wide call and he mutes it and he rapes me. I reached out to them. I know the police aren't going to do anything. I know how this works as a victim advocate. I thought maybe they would do something because as an insurance broker, he is licensed in 12 states and he goes into people's homes. Would you want a rapist going into your home and you being a client of him and not knowing that he's raped women and then force them into the shower to wash away any evidence of his DNA, but 
What evil tries to hide, God will reveal and God did. So here we are. It's in bankruptcy court. I win that and he appeals it in January 2022. He has three appeals and I'm told this is going to run my life for the next two to three years. Again, nobody in the system is stepping in saying, wait a second, she's a victim of rape. This isn't right. We need to stop this. What is he doing? No one's doing any of that. Our judicial system is just allowing him to abuse the system and re-victimize me. You made an excellent point that I think most of us just don't really think about on a day-to-day basis, but we should. You invite people into your home, whether it's someone that's installing a new lock or they're doing some sort of work, or like you said, they're an insurance agent. We don't know these people. We trust them because we trust the company that sent them. We need to protect ourselves. See if you can meet them somewhere in public. See if a friend of yours will come over while this is happening. Make sure they know you have interior cameras, whether you do or not. I think my biggest concern was he and I had met on a dating site. So if he's traveling from state to state and he's meeting girls in these other states, it's very easy to pretend to be someone else. And then he commits a crime. They don't know who it is to even report to police because he's out of state. It's the perfect setup for a criminal to get away with repeat offending. And yet our justice system that knows what's going on. And let me just say, all 12 of the states where he's licensed have known what's going on. They've received his police report. They won't do anything unless he's charged. So even though he's listed as a suspect in rape, they won't do anything. And they're still allowing him to go into people's homes, not caring about the safety of the rest of the people. This just allows more people to get hurt across different states, across the nation. Now, you've got your own podcast. I do. And you advocate for victims. I know that it is very important to you to advocate for anyone that you think you could possibly help. And a lot of that means reliving your own story, telling your story, not only the physical parts of what you went through, but the mental aspect of what you've been through since then. How hard is that for you to do? I think people think that when they share their story, when they're doing it out of revenge and it's not revenge, to actually have your voice is very empowering and it's healing. To know that you could be preventing this from happening to somebody else is like, okay, what happened to me then wasn't in vain. There was a purpose behind the pain. You are reliving it. And so it's not the easiest thing to do. It gets easier with time. I don't want people to think this is so easy for her to talk to her or other women like me that have been in a situation. It's not. And I will say that during all of this stuff going on within the court system, I had to shut everything down for a year. I had to be very careful with what I said. I was being told I could be sued again. And then I ultimately was forced to sign a settlement agreement under duress. That's why I sat in a mediation where I mean, guys, get this. I'm forced to mediate with my rapist. I'm forced to negotiate with him. And I even asked my attorney, can you not get me out of this? And she said, you'll be fine. I was later told she was supposed to notify the courts of who was being asked to negotiate, a rapist and a rape victim. The judge didn't know that. And if the judge had known that, it would have been pulled and we never would have been forced to go to mediation. And so while I was in mediation, I was told, if you don't sign this, he's going to go after your family. If you don't sign this, it's going to look bad because it's going to look like you still want to be connected to him. 
the courts are going to be told you're uncooperative. If you really know what's in your best interest, you'll sign this. And this is Over your attorney telling you this. My attorney, the mediator, his attorney having meetings. It was so difficult, so overwhelming. The only time I was actually able to leave that conference room was to use the restroom. And it was even revealed in this conference room that the mediator was friends with his attorney. Something that had not been revealed before and something I specifically asked, how does he know this mediator? And my attorney said, well, we all kind of know each other. We're all kind of past each other in courtroom. And I'm like, is there a conflict of interest? She's like, no, all three of them could get disbarred for because that's malpractice. And so I was forced to sign this agreement. And what this agreement did is it silenced me and protected him where I couldn't mention January 6th. I wasn't going to be able to mention the police department, which is Cornelius Police Department in North Carolina. I wasn't going to be able to say his name or what he did or that he's a former professional bodybuilder. None of this. I was silenced. I can't put into words really exactly what that's like to be a victim and then be silenced and basically be told, take it to your grave, keep your mouth shut, that the whole reason you're being sued is because you came forward. No responsibility being put on him. I was raped. That never should have happened. He specifically asked for Cornelius Police Department not to be named. And I thought, why is that? Why is he protecting the police? Well, here's what's interesting. The police have been protecting him all along. You're mentioning their name now. Yes, and I'll share why I'm able to do that now. But the police never brought him in for questioning. They went to talk to him. He said, I'm a lawyer up. They said, okay. So in September, when I was forced to mediation, I said, this needs to be undone. I've signed this under duress, which I did. I was crying and everything. Even the mediator said, he's a victim too. And I said, no, he's not. Your attacker was called a victim. Yes. By someone representing our judicial system. Mm-hmm. A male. I won't say I'm not surprised, but. But uh. my, my female attorney wasn't any more helpful because she said, if you know what's good for you, you'll sign this. You want this to go away? You don't want us to report to the courts that you're being uncooperative. You're going to sign this. So she then dropped me as a client in October. We're in federal district court. And every attorney I called, and I called over 100, said, there's a saying we have, whatever you do, don't go to federal court. We're not taking this. It's in how many courts? Yeah, no, no, no. We don't know bankruptcy. We don't know civil. You're now in federal court. No, that's too much. Good luck. You're not going to win this. As soon as the judge realizes you're representing yourself pro se, It's going to be a win for him and you're going to lose. I was literally told winning this was impossible. And so I started doing research, talking with attorneys that way to talk with me and give me some guidance. I started filing missions on my own, pro se in federal district court. And in February of this year, February 28th, I won my case, pro se in federal district court. God made them possible. See, and guys, I kept praying. I said, God, I'm going to do whatever I can do. I need you to do what only you can do. I need you to show up. And he has been showing up and showing off. And I won. The judge called my rapist a liar. He skipped town. Yes, he skipped town. I was told over and over again, you made judicial history. I had attorneys reaching out and congratulating me. Attorneys in different states. My attorney wasn't even the one that told me I had won because even though she dropped me as a client, she still legally was listed as my attorney in the courts, but she wouldn't send me anything. So I was having to wait a week later to get things because when you're per se, you aren't on the docket, the email docket that they send out. You have to wait 
to receive things by mail. So another attorney who saw it in the docket show up said, oh my gosh, congratulations, you won. And I woke up to that two days after I won. I found out two days later. Our system is better than most, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have problems. Oh, So, (laughs) you know, just like our heroine in the book, she decided the same thing. I'm just going to stand up and keep going and keep going because I'm in the right. And that's exactly what you did. I really want people to understand how anybody can make a difference. You might not end up in federal court. You might not do it that way. But let's say we have someone we know, someone in our circle who's experienced a devastating trauma like you did. How do we reach out to that person? What do we say? What do we not say? There is such a thing as toxic positivity where we can be too positive. It could have been worse. Don't go there. Because in their world and what the shoes that they've walked in, it couldn't be any worse. I think the best thing to do is to be a sounding board. Listen, listen more than you talk and say, I hear you. I'm so sorry. How can I support you? Validate what they've gone through because there's been too many times when what's happened wasn't validated. And I mean, just as simply as our judicial system. I mean, even though I won and then he had two more appeals to file. So even though this, you now have two judges that have recognized that I am the victim and he's the perpetrator, our judicial system was going to allow him to appeal two more times. This last appeal took 13 months. So this would take about two more years. And by God's grace, he gave up his rights to those next two appeals, which would have been to the Fourth Circuit and would have been to the Supreme Court. It's definitely a thing of attending things with people. If you know a victim that's going through things and they have to attend court hearings, attend with them because that's probably one of the most overwhelming situations to be in a court setting and be all alone. I mean, he had two attorneys. I had none. And I even asked the judge in December, can you give me a court-appointed attorney? Denied. Can you have him pay for my attorney? He's the one that brought this lawsuit against me. He should pay for my attorney. Denied. And I will say, this system does not protect victims. You have to prove that what you're saying is true. You know, for the guilty, it's innocent until proven guilty. For, for the victims, we're guilty until we're proven innocent. We'll believe what you're saying if you can prove by our standards. Because there was ample evidence and the police still wouldn't consider it. And that's kind of what happened with this attorney for the police. Because my story then made the news in January, I bypassed the police. The police weren't doing anything. I was so tired of being silenced. I was going to fight this. It expedited the testing of my kit that was on backlog, which was even more on backlog because there's a survivor act by the attorney general, Josh Stein, where police can only have the kit in their custody 45 days. They exceeded that by an additional 65 days, not turning it over to the state crime lab, which cost me time. So it gets expedited. It goes to state crime lab. A profile is sent off to CODIS, which is the Federal Forensic Index, and it comes back male positive DNA. Huge victory because we thought we'd never find DNA based on him having me wash. And if I didn't wash myself, he washed me each time to make sure there was no DNA. And they found male DNA. And now that we have the police department's attorney saying, So what? That there's male DNA, not enough probable cause. We're not going to get his DNA to see if there's even a match because in their mind, I don't count. They wanted to see if there is a match in the CODIS. Well, they haven't found a match in CODIS. 
not because there isn't a match, but because there's such a backlog that they might not have been tested. When women come forward, they might not have had the sexual assault kit done. Or when it came forward, it might be too late for the sexual assault kit because they've waited so long. And so we have all these situations because it's not easy to come forward. And so having someone have support, because it's not an easy process. It's a very invasive process, especially when they perform the sexual assault kit and collect evidence. They took such detailed notes that it's almost like I would be standing in a courtroom completely naked and everybody would know every detail of my body. Those were the notes I had to turn over to prove that what happened to me happened. He hasn't had to prove anything. They've never asked for his DNA to check it to see if it's a match of mine. Complete injustice one after another. And everybody's like, does he work for the police? Because why are they protecting him? No one understands that. That brings up another great point for people that are listening. If you're going to support someone that has been through something like this, don't assume you understand how they feel, how the judicial system works. Because let me tell you, it's nothing like it is on TV or in the movies. It takes forever. What sounds like it should be a common sense decision is maybe 50-50 chance that, that you'll get something that should be obvious. I think it's so incredible that you're willing to come forward and educate people about this. The work that you've done on your own case is beyond amazing. Court victories all by yourself. I am I'm a fan for life. Thank you. And you're also a hero to other people that have gone through something similar. And so if people need to reach out to you, they've got questions, they need help, how do they get in touch with you, Willie? Yeah, so the best way that has all of my information, all my social media handles would be my Linktree account, which is Linktree in the slash live each day with purpose. And that has everything. It has my episodes for my podcast. It has my email. But that's the best way to uh, connect with me. Awesome. And I will have that in the show notes. So we'll make it super, super easy for everybody. Because let me tell you, you may not realize that you know a sexual assault survivor, but I'll guarantee you that you do. They don't always feel safe coming forward. But if you think there's anything that someone's maybe holding back from you, let them know that you're a safe person to talk to. Yes, I think it's really important. Like, I think people think that this is just something that rarely happens, but every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And since I was sexually assaulted, there's been over 1.5 million Americans that have been sexually assaulted. And, you know, the statistics of one in four and one in three, that's only what's reported. And so we're not the minority, we're the majority. And everybody knows someone, whether they know it or not. And if you're listening to my story, you can count me as knowing me. And with this, case victory in the courts, it will now set a precedent that if a woman is sued, she'll be able to refer to my case saying this happened to Whitley. And now her attorney or whoever she hires to get to represent her will be able to try to use my case to help them. And it sets a precedent moving forward to better protect victims and survivors where our courts have failed, where our police have failed. I'm certainly glad that you reached out to me earlier. We've been planning on doing this for some time, and I'm, I'm glad we've stayed in touch and that I can count you as a friend. Yes. And anyone else who wants to give Whitley just some words of encouragement, or if you need some help yourself, reach out to me, reach out to her. We're better together, and we need to help each other and look out for each other. So thank you for joining us and giving us some ideas from your story on how we can do that. 
Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Take care. You too. In Deuteronomy, Moses emphasized the importance of making a daily choice between pursuing our own wants or obeying God's commands. Individual responsibility is crucial, but we're also all part of a larger community. We have to look out for ourselves, but we cannot neglect looking out for others as well. Let's dive a little deeper into Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20, and I'm reading from the Contemporary English Version. Moses is speaking to Israel, and he says, After you are settled in the towns that you will receive from the Lord your God, the people in each town must appoint judges and other officers. Those of you that become judges must be completely fair when you make legal decisions, even if someone important is involved. Don't take bribes to give unfair decisions. Bribes keep people who are wise from seeing the truth and turn honest people into liars. People of Israel, if you want to enjoy a long and successful life, make sure that everyone is treated with justice in the land the Lord is giving you. It's really easy to look at those verses and decide that their responsibility for justice rests completely on judges. But notice, it's the people who are appointing those judges. We have to be sure that when we support candidates in any position, that we look for people of character, people who will be fair and not give in to corruption. Now, I'm not saying that in either Chanel or Whitley's case, there were any illegal dealings, but there were certainly some questionable decisions made. If you get a copy of Know My Name, you'll see how even though Brock Turner was convicted, his sentence was so alarmingly light that an outraged community had him recalled as a judge. And Whitley is advocating to be sure that cases like hers are dealt with fairly as well. As a community, we have got to come together and look out for each other and hold our leaders accountable for their failures. Be sure you check out links in the show notes for more information about things that we've talked about in this episode. And please help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact, by sharing this episode with them. You can also help me out by subscribing to The Unlovely Truth and by giving me a five-star rating and a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.